Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guests on the podcast are Brian Adams and Charlotte Marshall. Brian is the CEO and founder of PH Creative, recognized as one of the leading employer brand agencies in the world. Charlotte was named the 2019-2020 Employer Brand Leader of the Year and has successfully built and launched five Fortune 500 employer brands. Welcome to the podcast, Brian and Charlotte. I'm delighted to have you here. Thanks for having us. So in your book uh, that the two of you collaborated on, and I'm, I'm so fascinated by the way that you collaborated because, um, uh, and we can get to that, but in, in terms of, of your book, um, you, you summarize the give and get approach to employer branding, and you summarize it as repel the many and compel the few, which I thought was brilliant tagline. And um, it's a great summary for all of marketing, really. So do you think the method you describe in the book could apply beyond, uh, beyond employer branding to other areas as well? You, you sure highlight a number of things that's part of good marketing, like uh, connecting with people on an emotional level, storytelling, all of that. Yeah, it's a great question. And the given the get methodology was really born out of us looking outside of the traditional approach to marketing to solve employer brand challenges. And those of us who have been doing this for a little while, and it's a very new emerging field still, I've been doing it about 15 years and I'm known as one of the original employer branders because there weren't very many of us when I first started. Mm. And because you can't study this or learn it in school, we all look to our marketing agencies to help us attract top talent and win more than our fair share against our competitors. And really what they did was they took a, a steer from traditional marketing and said, okay, you want to brag about your opportunities, the strengths and benefits of joining your company. So that's what we did. And I certainly did it many times in some of my early work and it worked. The problem was it worked so well. We successfully seduced candidates with the sizzle of why we were so great <laughs> to work that we ended up overwhelming our funnels oh, wow. and most of our, our leaders were calling saying, okay, what sort of tech exists to help funnel through all these applicants we're getting who are unqualified or quite frankly, unsuited to the role. Yeah. So Brian, you know, invented the give and the get and I was his client many years ago. And when I contacted him to work together, I said, all right, here's the challenge I want to solve. What do you, what do you have for me? Hmm. That's great. Yeah, I mean, that that uh, connection that the two of you have around uh, you, Charlotte, having been Brian's client and how this ended up as a book, is kind of a rare form of collaboration. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of intrigued by that. Is there, uh, are you planning to collaborate in other ways or is this, uh, this something that you came together for, for this particular project? So we worked together on this employer brand project a couple years ago that fundamentally changed the way I'll approach employer branding from this day forward. And after I learned it and saw the results, I said, we absolutely have to share this with the world. 
because it's such a better mousetrap rather than following that traditional marketing approach of just bragging about why we're great. We actually started to talk about what are our expectations in return for all of those great strengths, benefits, and opportunities. And unlike traditional marketing where you're selling to anyone who will buy, you know, employer branding and recruitment marketing, you're rejecting 99% of the people who apply for jobs. You can't sell to everybody who wants your product, service, or offering. So you do need to be much more discerning and it's much more like online matchmaking than a traditional sell. And to that end, um, Brian and I are collaborating in other ways. We got engaged about 18 months ago. We were supposed to get married. Congratulations. Thank you. We were supposed to get married in June, but COVID foiled our plans for now. Uh, We have probably a lot more collaboration from us. (laughs) <laughs> that's great. Wow. Well, that's, that's wonderful. And I'm, and sad in a way of the whole COVID thing, your, yours is not the only wedding that's been postponed. So um, yeah, well, that's great. Well, I, it seems like uh, what you describe in the book is really around um, building a culture that attracts the best people for your company. And um, rather than kind of creating this this um, idealized image of the company, even in terms of of talking about the the expectations people have need to have and and some of the drawbacks of working for the company, it still could could be a persona kind of approach as opposed to a real reflection of the the culture. So um, do you do you agree that it's it should be a reflection of the culture or is it something that evolves in the process as well? So we believe it's, you know, it's our job as employee brand leaders to reflect the true reality of the employee experience. Um, and, you know, that's very much about the, the culture of an organization, you know, and it's, it's not about finding good or bad people, you know, or, or from a candidate's perspective, deciding whether a company is good or bad. It's, it's deciding whether it's ideally matched. You know, and I think we believe talking about the, you know, when you mentioned the drawbacks, you know, one person's drawback is is another person's um, incredible challenge. Sure. You know, they're inspired or motivated to take on. You know, so what what we believe is by being much more authentic about what have been traditionally considered as a negative or a harsh reality. Um, or uh, adversity inside of an organization by, by, by being very open and transparent about that, not only is it just more honest, um, you know, it's more liberating for employees to see, oh, okay, we can talk about that because usually we're only allowed to talk about the sunshine the truth and why it's amazing to be working here. You know, there's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot of benefits to that than, other than just being more transparent. You know, and typically, what happens is if you talk about harsh reality, it's the, quick, the quickest way to find um, the derivative of passion and pride inside an organization because it opens the door to being able to acknowledge and appreciate what your employees or associates are doing on a daily basis in order to thrive and, and, and find the achievement um, and success that they are. So actually it elevates um, the strengths, benefits, and opportunities to a new level, and it gives context. So candidates can make a much more well-educated and informed decision as to whether they feel like this is a place for them, 
uh, and internally employees or associates feel that acknowledgement and appreciation and also it's you know whenever we launch an employer brand we always advocate for the first thing you should do is re-recruit the talent you've got and remind them why they're there mm-hmm. you know yeah. um you know so there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of upside to this approach and it's much more than just being more open and honest and transparent about the downsides yeah well that re-recruiting the talent that you've got i was very struck by that in the book because it's uh, on the one hand, I can, uh, if you look at it from the point of view of, yes, you want to make sure people are really on board, it recalibrates the culture in a way, um, and maybe reinforces some things that haven't been reinforced. Uh, but have you seen that kind of shifting in organizations when you get to that re-recruitment aspect? Um, it's something that we, we always advocate for. Um, of course, you have to be prepared Certainly, if your organization is in transition and change, you have to be prepared for some people to get off the bus. You know, it's like this yeah. used to be for me, but now it isn't. Right. Um, you know, and the job of an employer brand and, and an EVP is to align with a business strategy and carefully balance the reality of today with the aspiration of tomorrow. Um, but done, done right, you know, it can still be done with 100% authenticity, um, and it starts to lean into organizational change and organizational development, you know, because it, it should be a, a sharp tool that adds value to the business um, and brings people along you know, with the, the direction of, of the strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, interesting side note. So the company I'm with now is the sixth employer brand. I'm in a newly created role, developing, activating, and bringing to the world. And as a newly joining associate as I'm going through this process of crystallizing and developing the employee brand every single time there's a moment in the synthesis where I find myself getting re-recruited to the company I just joined (laughs) found and bottled the magic of why it's so amazing right the world doesn't know that yet but there's magic inside every organization when you find it yeah it's more about what it feels like to be on the team and the common mindset motivations passions that enable you to achieve the impact your organization is there to do and I first find myself getting re-recruited and then I naturally then want to share that with all of the fellow associates around the world because I want them to feel the same thing. Yeah, which is great. I mean, I think that's really true that every every company has potential magic in it and um, it's it's really about tapping into that. Is there a way in which, and, and just I just wanted to, um, something that Brian said, EVP, a term you use, that's employer brand uh, sorry, uh, employer value proposition. Is that, is that right? Yeah, Can you tell tell people what that what that means when you refer to that? Yeah. So um, your employer brand's tagline or essence, as we call it, you know, should be an an aspirational um, sort of vision of crystallizing, you know, how it feels, and what the opportunity is inside an organization. But an employee value proposition uh, is essentially. Um, the opportunity to to create a very clear idea of not only what you stand to benefit as an employer associate, but what you have to put in in order you know to, to get those benefits. So it's a, a two way value exchange, hmm. um, you know, and that's and that's the sort of foundation of give and get. You know, um, what what do you have to give and, and what do you get in return? Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. 
So do you think that, I mean, you've worked with some very large established companies. Charlotte, you were at Magellan Health when you and Brian worked together. Brian, you've worked with your company, PH Creative, in all kinds of large companies, including Apple, et cetera. So is, this, is there a difference between this process in established big companies versus entrepreneurial companies? Are there things that they need to do differently, do you think? So it's a really good question, um, you know, and we've worked in many global organizations with tens of thousands, in fact, hundreds of thousands of employees. And we've worked with mid-sized startups who are just, you know, in that scrappy stage of scaling. And sure, when it comes to working with global brands, there's um, a degree of, sort of complexity and different layers that you have to build in um, to deal with different geographies and different talent segments and seniority and um, a whole host of um, segmentation such as that. But, but underneath it all, this is about um, human experience and done right, um, it should be able to still shake it down to very simple terms of what that proposition is, what you stand for and what it feels like to work for an organization. You know, and especially with startups, um, and small organizations, um, I would say, don't make the mistake to feel like you're too small um, to warrant an employer brand. Um, you know, because, you know, having been a, an entrepreneur, um, scaling and, you know, scrapping to survive, you know, in, in, in many respects at, at some point in our, in our career, people make the difference you know, of, of staying in business or going out of business, you know, and people are um, probably, well, I believe people are the only true competitive advantage left in business. Everything else can be commoditized, automated, bought, or, you know. So, so you know, the, the need and the value is absolutely the same. The application is a little bit more complex as the organization grows. Sure. But if you get it right at the start, it's much easier to scale mm -hmm. the culture you want than change a culture um, you know, when you've reached that certain size. That's, that's a problem that we see in a lot of organizations, a lot of large organizations. They, they need to change the culture in order to move forward. Yeah. And that's, a, that's a big challenge compared to <laughs> protecting and fostering a culture that's, that's productive and, and, and balanced for your organization. Yeah. We're seeing way more startups investing in the employer brand space and even getting out the gate, developing employer brands and employee value propositions. And mm -hmm. even within Danaher Corporation, where I work today, there's a smaller startup. I had that opportunity to help do the employer brand for 18 months ago. And it is a different experience because you don't have critical mass yet. And you don't have enough people on the team to crystallize the culture. So it's much more in a startup about the vision and where you're going mm -hmm. and what you're going to build versus what it is today. Yeah. But you get to, it's experienced by design. You get to design yeah. with a blank canvas, the culture that, that you want and the employee experience that, um, that you want. And it's much easier that way, you know? Well, yeah. I, I mean, having read the book, I can see how that would be really valuable. And it's something that, I know when I work with entrepreneurial companies, it's it's really an area that not many entrepreneurs have, let's call it immediate facility in. It's definitely part of their learning curve and their growth to be able to think about 
um, the culture that they're building and at the same time, who are they bringing into the organization? Because the tendency is you hire people like you that you feel comfortable with and having this bigger picture view, I think would be very clarifying even at the start, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, in the process of, of reading through, I, I kind of got the impression that these are for companies that are flooded with candidates and that they, you know, kind of can't seem to beat people back. And so you need to narrow things down. And I'm, I'm not sure that's true for every company. Do you think that this method would increase the stream of potential candidates that are actually people that you, uh, that are pre-qualified in a way? <laughs> so it's a again a great a great question and what I would say is if you're a small organization or you're a brand that's lesser known and, and you know and you're not seeing your channels flooded with with applicants um, you still have the same fundamental um, challenges and uh, you know especially if you're small I remember many years ago hiring um, hiring a, a senior person it was a, a big salary um they were on more than me <laughs> at the time <laughs> and you know we had big high hopes and all the rest of it and it was a it was a it was a poor choice we made a poor choice uh it's, it's easy to hire some it's easy to get them in but not quite as easy to get them out sometimes yeah and um it caused it caused quite a lot of disruption in, in our organization and we were very small and that salary was was very important to us and the results that we were hoping to get was obviously very important as well. So, um, so I would say it doesn't matter what size and, you know, if you if, if you're finding it difficult to, to get the right candidate, um, just because it's slow or you, you, you don't think that there's many people sort of beating down your door, I would still advocate for holding that, the, the, um, the bar really high in terms of who you decide to hire. Mm -hmm. So I would say the principles are exactly the same and, and hiring based on culture fit rather than just competency is, is essential. I would add to that. Most of the companies where I work have been large 10,000 plus employees, but they've all had very low levels of brand awareness. So they weren't known in the market. They weren't necessarily getting flooded with applicants, even though they were large. And there's a huge portion of companies that fall in that range. Mm -hmm. So when we simply led with the traditional value exchange, which is the one-way proposition, mm -hmm. broadcasting our opportunities, benefits, and strengths, we became more magnetic overnight and the applications did come in, but they still weren't the right ones. So regardless of size, it's a smarter approach to talent attraction because you're going after the right matches for your organization and the folks that we bring in after encountering the give and the get are more prepared for what it's going to be like, not just on a good day, but also on a normal day or perhaps a bad day. Mm -hmm. And they're not waiting for it. They they're ready for it and they're ready to lean into that challenge when it occurs. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've worked with lesser known brands where we use their anonymity to their advantage, you know, and if you take an interesting specific challenging message to the marketplace you will get the right response um you know in many cases it can be a, an advantage that people don't know who you are you know so they're listening to the message they're looking at the challenge and, and weighing up uh, the opportunity in, in, in a different light um you know so you know ultimately brands have got to use what they've got you know to take to market um you know so but I think if you get the message right and you position that proposition such that you can pique somebody's interest, um, you know, and whilst people are 
um, while you're repelling some people, if, if it's specific and brave and direct and interesting and, you know, compelling enough, you will find people leading in and, and inquiring. Regardless of size, neither one of us has ever worked for someone who said they just want more applicants. They want more of the right applicants. <laughs> right. So our goal is to help people decrease volume and increase quality, regardless of what that starting point is. Sure. Yeah, and the cost of bringing on the wrong person is just, it's, it can be disastrous in a small company, and it's, uh, it's certainly a cost problem and, and uh, a productivity problem and all the things that go along with um, not bringing in the right person. Yeah. Is there a way in which that you think your approach is a reflection of the how the employee pool has changed? Because <clears throat> I know that you, you talk about, um, deep resonance and emotional response in terms of bringing in people. And maybe it's, it was just one of those things that people didn't articulate and the people who were doing it well were doing that anyway. But I wonder if you have any views on, is this a generational thing where this approach appeals to a particular group or is it, this is, is this kind of a global approach? So it's interesting because I think now, um, the candidate audience are more um, conscious of the fact that they want to work for ethical companies, sustainable companies. They are aware of the value of um, work-life balance and they know of opportunities and benefits that they can get um, at various large organizations. And, you know, so expectations um, to a degree have certainly changed. But underneath it all, you know, the, the philosophy and framework that we preach in the book um, just speaks to human truths and the idea of um, acknowledging that people want purpose, impact and belonging. And if you can articulate very clearly what your brand of purpose, impact and belonging is, then, you know, it's going to make you more compelling for, for a good, for the right segment of that audience that, you know, thrive inside of your company um, when you look at times gone by I don't think it's I don't think it's a generational thing really I, I think it's just a reflection of uh, the evolution of the recruitment space I think if we got in our DeLorean and went back to 1985 and, and, and used the, uh, the give and get philosophy I think we'd find it was a roaring success um, because it just speaks to human truths yeah yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was just curious what what you've seen in the in the folks that you've worked with. So, how do you? How do you seen, go ahead, learning. We're just learning as we go. And every brand I've gotten in and gotten my hands dirty and, and helped an organization build for the first time, you apply that learning to the next project. And because it's such a new emerging field, we're just discovering better ways to go after this particular challenge. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I find most effective is just how disarming the philosophy is yeah. because candidates feel like they're being sold to. They just shift to a place of defensiveness and we see people not trusting brands and trusting peer-to-peer -peer recommendations and candidates driving in droves to sites like Glassdoor because they feel like they can't get the truth on our career sites because mm -hmm. yeah. we're broadcasting that sunshine truth and it's not believable. So everyone's aware of that challenge we're trying to be that rally cry for embracing parts of your culture that for whatever reason aren't surfacing in your marketing today so that candidates stay and, and learn from you and learn from your teammates. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame that 
a 360 balanced view of your organization, warts and all, um, is is refreshing and yeah, different. I know, yeah, it's <laughs> but, true. But it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, in top talent, I'm sure they've seen it all. If they've done mm-hmm. any kind of job hunting, they've seen every company touting, um, you know, the great benefits of working there. And it's true, it is disarming. It's like, oh, wait a minute, this is really a different organization. And at least there's some hope that there's going to be, um, you know, truth in what people are revealing in this um, in this branding. So. It causes people to get really curious. And most mm. leaders I work for want curious candidates, curious yeah. employees on the team. Right. And when Brian and I do workshops, we often ask people in the room, if it was your job to persuade someone not to work at your company and you couldn't lie, what would you say? Mm. And everyone immediately has something. Every culture mm-hmm. has something that sure. makes it a tough place to work at times. Yeah. So after you bottle that, we're not saying just list those things. You then ask people, well, why do you do it? Why do you stick around? Right. Why is that sacrifice worth it? What do you get in exchange for giving up that part of you know, your world? And that answer and that combination is where some real magic can lie is because everyone's mm. threshold and tolerance is quite different. Sure. So the same give and get can turn somebody off because the hill's way too high to climb and they're not interested. Ultimately, they'll appreciate the transparency and and save your organization time and money from applying, another person reads the same message and is turned on by it because the hill's sufficiently high enough to give meaning to the climb. Right. And that's a really beautiful thing when you start to see that play out. And after you've deployed it, looking at the quality of applicants, the um, reduction of new hire attrition, all of these metrics that business leaders care a lot about can all be influenced quite easily through embedding this into your recruitment marketing. Well, and to be even be drawing candidates to the kind of challenge that your company offers, um, I mean, hopefully everybody applying wants some kind of challenge in that work, and even that would be a, a fil- part of the filtering process. But if you can match up the kind of challenge with the, the right person, that's a really great connection to make. Mm-hmm. I'm really intrigued by something you talked about in the book, and of course, impact is a big uh topic of interest for me. So you talk about um, um, an EVP, an employee um, value proposition, conveying a sense of purpose, impact, and belonging. And I was particularly struck by this combination of impact and belonging. Uh, I mean, purpose is, to me, is inherent in in impact. But um, talk a little bit about how, why those two go together, impact and belonging. So, um, you know, when you go to when you go to work or you do anything in life, I think you know it's fair to say that you know um, if you don't feel like you belong somewhere, uh, then every day is a struggle. And you know, I think we're all searching for that in life in our different aspects of life. You know, family life, social life, and, and certainly work. We spend a lot of time uh, with with our with our colleagues. You know, but um, from an from an impact perspective, um, by articulating a clear value exchange and being very explicit with what you have to put in, um, what you're actually revealing there is what your chance to contribute towards something is, um, what your contribution means, and what it what it can be, and that sense of uh, personal worth 
and personal value, uh, you know, is is a fundamental, you know, inherent aspect of who we are and something that we're looking to fulfill as as people so by being explicit about the impact that you can create you know we, we really are scratching an itch that most of us you know we, we are searching for those fundamental answers and particularly when you want to attract top talent you know you want people who have drive and you know they want they are curious but they want to achieve and progress you know career progression is you know, probably the, the biggest driver at the moment for, for young talent coming out and you know, um, talent looking to further their career. So by leaning into how people, first of all, the impact an organization can make, you know, to see whether that sort of resonates, but then specifically the impact you can make on that company, that's a very desirable thing to articulate, we find. It's, and it's a very, very integral piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's coming up as such an important aspect for people when they're even considering a place to work, as you mentioned. So, well, kind of related to that, I um, in the you also address both personal purpose as well as organizational purpose, and I think that's something that sometimes get a, gets a bit overlooked that uh, the the personal purpose aspect and. I think, though, that there realistically, there's sometimes a tension uh, between the two. And tell us about your perspective um, on that, and and you know, what at what point does that tension become problematic? I've seen it bottled in a way that becomes quite powerful. When I was with Thermo Fisher Scientific several years ago, it's a really large life science biotech company. Mm-hmm. Our employee value proposition was helping people realize their best professionally and personally, actually. And what we found was the intersection in terms of what people's personal purpose was connected to the different business offerings we had, create the created career paths and opportunities that were deeply profound for people. So I'll give you an example. One woman, Louise, that I met was a benefit of a kidney transplant, as was her mother. And she was a profound marathon runner. And before her last operation, they said, this is going to be your last marathon. You're likely not going to be able to to do this anymore after your transplant. A couple years into her career, um, Life Technologies was acquired by Thermo Fisher Scientific. And this new unit became available, transplant diagnostics. And she was in IT. She could work IT anywhere in the world. She raised her hand and said, I want to work at the IT team for transplant diagnostics. And she started to work on the recipient database that matched donors and recipients to make sure the organs would be a good match. The personal connection she had being able to take something that saved her life and she's still running marathons and all the rest and apply that to a company's purpose was yeah. really awesome. So we bottled up stories like that and it was one of many. Somebody else's purpose was really to spend their life traveling the globe and they were able to work for the same company but work on six different continents. Yeah, and we've we've never been in an organization and done research and not found absolute story gold, you know. Um that it exists in every organization. And, you know, I could tell you stories speaking to people who work for organizations who actually hate their job. Yeah. But find incredible meaning in the end result and find incredible um, personal impact in what they can provide for their family and so on and so forth. So, you know, what motivates people, you know, 
as humans, we can be weird and wonderful things, you know, but those human stories, um, you know, if with a little bit of direction um, and consistency, you know, they are, that, that's what makes the fabric of a, an authentic uh, employer brand and can have people leaning in or running for the hills. And that's what we want. We want to galvanize people internally with those stories whilst polarizing the wider candidate audience um, so people can make better choices. And how better to do it than tell those personal human stories of impact, purpose, and belonging? It reminds me of the airline story. That's the one I was referring to. So it's an engineer worked for an airline hated his job day in, day out, but he told a story uh, in a workshop, and it was these are big, barely men. Who, um, it, was, it was a group of, of, of all men. And um, they were all sat there with their arms fold, folded and their, their brows furrowed, and they didn't really want to be there, and he certainly didn't want to uh, tell a Liverpoolian from the UK uh, all of their intimate secrets about what they do on a daily basis. So that was an interesting, tense first 20 minutes of the workshop. But finally... One guy told a story, of, um, he said, look, here's why I'm here. And we all sort of leaned in like, okay, getting somewhere. Um, he said, my parents were Mormon. We didn't have electricity. We had a horse and cart and this, that, and the other. But my son has just graduated from Harvard. So in one generation, that's the difference. And he said, the reason my son's just graduated from Harvard, because in this airline, I can travel free and my family can travel free anywhere in the world. Hmm. So when my son had a geography project, we went to the foothills of Peru and we explored oh, wow. this. We went to see the pyramids. You know, we've, we've stood and we can tell you what the, the air smells like uh, as the sun sets on uh, the Colosseum in, in Rome. Hmm. You know, Amazing. so I, I, can, I afforded that to my family and gave him that rich experiential education such that he, he's now just graduated from Harvard and he was actually welling up I mean the, the pride in in that guy um, was phenomenal it was an amazing emotional moment in that workshop and it opened the door to everybody every one of them every one of those big burly engineers told stories of why they're there and the impact it makes on them and their family and it was it was beautiful you know and they all hated their job and they actually all hated wow. their job but Wait. obviously they lost so found incredible meaning and purpose in the fact that um, you know they keep they keep planes in the air safe. Safety is number one, and they take great pride of the accountability and responsibility of the safety for hundreds of passionate pass passengers on every plane uh, that flies every twenty minutes out of you know the airports around the world. Um, so you know we always say from a research perspective. Data tells you what, but people tell you why. Mm. And it's those human stories and the ability to shake out data and be left with insights that matter, that can answer those questions of purpose, impact, and belonging um, in a compelling human way. Now, that's, that's when magic can happen. Yeah. Um, well, and you have the confidence, you know. Well, it speaks to how multidimensional... Um, both people are and, and in their job choices, it's not as simple as, oh, I'm wildly passionate about this and I love the purpose of the company. And, you know, I think that there can sometimes be a bit of a two-dimensional um, view of, of why people have jobs. You either are black and white, I either hate it and therefore I got to get out of here versus I see some aspects that I would 
prefer not to deal with, but I have this huge benefit. And what a fantastic story about the about uh, being able to <laughs> take their children to where they were doing projects and just brings the world so much to their doorstep. It's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I can see how this um, process could be helpful even beyond the hiring and onboarding process. Um, that it could, as you mentioned several times, kind of bring more life to um, the culture and and people's existence uh, and, and they're actually in their employment. So are there any recommendations or lessons that have come out of what you've learned once you get the right people in the door? Well, I guess the first thing is the employer brand and EVP isn't just to get people in the door. Um, you know, and, and what we advocate for is setting expectations. So if you set those expectations, you know, that needs to be consistently met and found and experienced once people once people uh, join and um you know they that's the reality you paint is the reality they need to find mm. um, but if you if you do do that um and you re-recruit the talent you've got you know you use them to tell their stories and you know it, it's, that's not just why it's great to work there, but you know, stories of adversity, <coughs> overcoming challenge, stories of um, difficult circumstance, of sacrifice and commitment. What we're doing here is we're setting up story arc, you know, because without adversity and conflict, there is no story. Um, but once you educate employees um, that it's okay to share those stories and be open about the challenges and the worries and difficulties and all the rest of it, then, you know, everybody, everybody wants to know how the story ends, you know, mm -hmm. and um, everybody then appreciates the strengths, the benefits, the opportunities, the achievements, you know, the passion and pride is more believable. Um, you know, so the, I guess the, long-winded point I'm making is um, it's really important to deliver on the expectations but if you do that then you have real advocates real ambassadors and that's the good stuff I read uh, just the other day that um, the people typically believe employees of an organization 78% um, more than the CEO of an organization you know so if you can use your employees as uh, advocates and ambassadors then um, you know, your employer brand and your, your, your means of attracting talent is, is so much more um, effective and efficient. Mm -hmm. Sure. Doing. One thing I would say, the last six months have taught us a lot of lessons, opened our eyes to new things. And while employer brand used to be considered optional for some, I think what we saw play out across our social media feeds and news feeds was companies being held very accountable for how their people were treated during this time, yeah, during sure. so many layoffs and unemployments and how people were treated. Brian and I were predicting would really define one's brand for decades to come. And if people didn't think you were treating your people fairly, they were boycotting your products and services. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, sites come out that were buyer beware. Every store on high street in London got a rating, um, whether or not you should buy their, by their services or products. We also saw huge backlash from companies like Lime Scooter doing mass layoffs over Zoom via a bot. Then we saw huge swells of sentiment for companies like Airbnb that laid off 25% of their workforce with so much grace 
and humility that they received quite a positive return on that really tough news because the customers really rallied behind them. Sure. Employer brands, not optional, whether you have one or not, people are defining one for you. And I think that curiosity between how people are treated, but also the people behind your brand actually end up selling more products and services. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I've actually tracked with some of my campaigns is the human stories we create as part of the employer brand, turning that over to the consumer marketing teams and watching them outsell the traditional marketing posts. (laughs) Yeah. It's a real thing and it's it's a trackable thing. So leaning into that, regardless of where you sit and what you're responsible for, there's a real power in that outside of just talent attraction. Yeah, that's such a great point. Well, as my last question before we get into the rapid round, I'd love to hear from both of you kind of on a personal level of your own experience um, around leadership. And both of you are, Brian, leading in your own company, Charlotte at Danaher. And how would you define impactful leadership? And do you do things on purpose to cultivate those skills or is it just something that's evolved organically for you? So in PH, particularly this year, it's been an interesting learning curve for me actually. Um, and what I've learned most of all about leadership this year is, is rather than, obviously it's our job to lead from the front and um, be clear um, and deliberate. But this year, what I've learned is, you know, if we're talking about impact, um, you know, my job has literally just been to support others. And that's, that's been super effective just by communicating and being open with, with people and giving them, um, in times of uncertainty, giving them certainty mm. um, and giving them clarity. Um, which gives people confidence, um, you know, and and yeah, this is probably quite a simplistic answer to your question, but by just doing that, the impact I've seen my people um, create has been incredible. Just by the fact that, you know, we talk about belonging, like the shared experience uh, of going through some adversity together is so powerful yeah. to create a sense of belonging. Um, you know, and when you harness that, um, the impact that, that can, that can follow, you know, I've, my team have, have blown me away this year by yeah. just what they're capable of. And it's been a direct response to galvanizing people with simple message of what we can be certain around in uncertain times and giving them the clarity of, of the direction I need them to go in. Um, and mm-hmm. I've learned. I've learned just as much from my team as they've learned from me in the last 12 months, certainly. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's one of the blessings of these times. I'm always looking for some positive outcome of the, of all that we're all going through. Charlotte, any thoughts on leadership? For me, it's about reminding people how much they're capable of. And Hmm. I'm known for having really high standards. Some would say a little bit too high and really setting that vision, but not accepting mediocrity, but not getting in there and doing it myself either, just really painting the picture and motivating and encouraging people to hit it out of the park. And I find that combination between we're doing new things, there isn't an example or a case study that I can give you that shows you exactly how to do it, 
but let's start at the basics and let's walk through what the experience feels like today. What could it feel like? What would you want to feel like? And asking some curious questions and letting people go off and, and figure some stuff out. It's been really rewarding to watch people um, take some direct feedback and then just really surprise me with what they come back with time and time again. Mm, that's great. Surprise me. I love that. <laughs> well, um, I always wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions about impact. And if you're both game, uh, I'd love to hear from you in response to each one. So the uh, first the first one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? So for me, it's um, it's the quickest way to create a sense of achievement, um, pride and passion. Mm -hmm. You know, without impact, I, th I think it's difficult to cultivate those things. Mm -hmm. Wow. For me, going in as a employee in a newly created role, um, my role often comes without headcount, without budget, without all the resources I need to be successful in my role. So finding a way to document the impact in short fire and showing people what, what we're achieving, you know, that ride gets pretty fun pretty quick because people don't really know what's possible. So you've got to find a way to, to calculate the impact that you're making and then use it as a business case to, to grow your function. And there's a lot of impact to be made in the employer brand that surprises people and it gets the attention of the c-suite pretty quick after you're in the activation part sure and you can get the necessary resources as well which is super important well the second rapid round question is what's one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most so for me um i always make sure i've got the focus around the outcome rather than get wrapped up with the how or um, strategy and tactics and all the rest of it. I always focus on the outcome that we want and that's how I guide conversations. It's how I um, ask people to, to think and it's how I shape the culture in PH as a, an agency that, you know, is hectic and busy and all the rest of it. We focus on outcomes. Mm -hmm. For me, it's been facing some fears along the way. So in 2017, I had my first opportunity to share a case study on stage, and I was pretty debilitated by the fear of public speaking. Oh, wow. I broke out in hives, and I had to get oh, no. a shot, and it was just one of those moments that I knew it was a great opportunity, but I was so scared that I did it anyway. And after about five, ten minutes, I relaxed on stage, and I ended up you know, finding my voice and finding the power in that. So I made it a point every time I was asked to speak for the next year, I would take it and I would get better at it. And now I make, you know, quite a, quite a living from speaking and writing. And mm. I think pushing yourself outside of your comfort zones, facing your fears can open up a lot of doors, but it's also really important to build your personal brand, no matter what you're doing. I think when we find ourselves in a time with record high unemployment, the people getting rehired the quickest were the ones that had been significant been out there reminding the world of their voice and their perspective and their thoughts. And that's never been more important than yeah. now. Well, and that's a, that's a huge transformation story in three years to go from that terrified that you break out in hives to um, being a speaker and, and doing all these podcast interviews. That's, that's pretty great. Well, the last question is what's one piece of advice or an insight you'd want to share with other business owners or business people around um, how can how can they 
have impact? What, uh, if they're asking themselves, how can I contribute more? What would you say to them? So I guess for me, um, the one thing, when I look back on my career, the 17 years leading pH, that makes me feel really old. Um, <laughs> the, the thing that's held me back the most over the sev- last 17 years is making plans that could have been much bigger. Mm. Um, so limiting beliefs is the one thing that slowed my career down. So I would say, you know, make plans, make time to think and plan, write them down and then ask yourself, what if this was a hundred times bigger? Because, Mm. um, because, you know, we can, you know, we, we can, we can achieve amazing things, but if we only shoot for mediocrity, the worst thing that can happen is you hit it, you know? Yeah, I love that. hundred times bigger planning. That's fantastic. Charlotte? For me, I would say I look for my leaders to really empower knocking the politics out of play. And I know that's a really big, meaty ask, but when you're in a newly created role and you're creating an employer brand, inevitably politics will start to rise up in every organization yeah. as marketing and HR and corporate communications all feel a sense of ownership and you're doing something in a new way mm-hmm. and all six opportunities, the same thing has, has happened and every employer brand leader will tell you the same thing. So if we've inspired you to, to embark on the road of getting started with employer brand, you know, see how you can enable the teams to work together and reduce some of that friction because the change management that goes along with it is often missed. And if you hire someone who's, who's greener in their career, um, they can be quite outmatched in terms of the seniority and the authority of the people they need to influence to bring along. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, politics sure can uh, put a crimp in things. I've worked in a corporate setting for 10 years, so I know what you're talking about. It's great. The, and the people that seem to flourish are the ones who, for whom politics is almost a non-issue. It's quite extraordinary when you see that happen. So that's, that's great. Well, thank you both for being here and for sharing your give and get approach and and employer branding. And uh, I think it's going to be really valuable for people to hear this perspective and the very thoughtful uh, way that you've laid it out in the book, I think is really uh, going to be valuable for people. So thank you both for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? You can find us on giveandget.net or on LinkedIn. Sure. People are interested. Um, ph-creative.com is is the agency uh, domain as well. Great. Well, thank you both for the work you're doing in the world. Uh, Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app, or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.